When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to our latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. In this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by new Georgia head coach Tom Crean, who certainly is making an imprint in Athens. He's getting to know students, faculty, staff, alums, really pushing that social media arm of his Twitter feed and, of course, Georgia men's basketball. And you'll hear from him about uh, basically what has changed since he last held a head coaching position just a year ago at the University of Indiana. Uh, certainly has learned a lot in that year off, working in television, going around the country, talking to head coaches, not just in basketball, but in other sports. And then I'll also be joined by Nevada head coach Eric Musselman, the Wolfpack. They think they have a chance to not just get to the Sweet 16 again, but maybe further than that. Who knows? Maybe to Minnesota for the Final Four in 2019. A lot could determine on the decisions of the Martin Twins, Cody and Caleb Martin, and Jordan Caroline. All three declared for the NBA draft. They've got till May 30th to withdraw their name if they want to go back to Nevada. And there's a couple other players as we get closer to the Chicago Draft Combine, which is later this week. Tyus Battle from Syracuse. He'll have a major decision. See what happens with the Orange, depending upon what Battle decides. Most importantly, it's Villanova. The defending national champs, Dante DiVincenzo, the MVP of the Final Four. Omari Spellman, who certainly had a phenomenal postseason. If both those guys stay in the draft... Villanova not going to compete for the national championship, at least I don't think so, but will probably be still the Big East favorite, or at least one of them, based on what they have returning. Uh, What they would lack, I think, is in that experience factor. Uh, If they get those two back, because they already have Phil Booth and Eric Pascal, plus DiVincenzo and Spellman, you can put Villanova right back in the mix to potentially win the national championship and get to their third Final Four in four seasons. If one returns, I still think they'll be in the mix. If both go, I don't think so. If both return, yes. And then at Maryland, I mean, you've got a number of different players. Uh, you know, Bruno Fernando, Kevin Herter. I mean, these are guys that certainly could have a major impact on the Terps next season if they were, you know, to return to Maryland. There's no question about it that the Terps could be a f- major factor in the Big Ten, maybe picked as high as second if all those guys come back. John Tay Porter from Missouri. What does he decide? Uh, his brother, Michael Porter Jr., is already in the NBA draft, but does Jonte stay in the draft or does he return? That could certainly affect the Missouri Tigers. Uh, Kyrie Thomas already declaring that he's going to stay in the draft out of Creighton. That certainly hurts the Blue Jays. Uh, Carson Edwards not invited to the Chicago Draft Combine. Let's assume he's going to return to Purdue, but if he does, uh, then they're looking at having a potential preseason player of the year. 
a preseason first-team All-American. If he doesn't return, then Purdue's definitely going through a rebuilding phase a little quicker than maybe they thought. If Edwards returns, uh, he's going to be the anchor. He's going to be the go-to guy, uh, no question, in West Lafayette. So a lot of decisions, uh, some this week. Uh, based on how they'll play in Chicago. For those that weren't invited, like Edwards, did they decide to sort of go through the workout process, wait till May 30th, and then we'll have other decisions, obviously, in the next couple of weeks uh, before the May 30th deadline. But I want to get to my guests, two very positive people in Eric Musselman and Tom Crean. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, New Georgia head coach Tom Crean. Uh, Tom, you have been relentless in getting to know everyone on campus. Pretty much, if there's a student at Georgia that doesn't know you yet, I don't know where they've been. Uh, I'm curious, because I've been obviously following you and talking to you, uh, how much did you do this exact same thing when you got to Marquette and Indiana? Oh, it's been different. There's no question it's all been different. And uh, when we first got to Indiana, uh, we were dealing with a train going off the rails every day. So there really wasn't much time to do any of that type of stuff. Arquette, we did some things. I remember we had an event. We had a, It was called Coffee, Cream, and Donuts. And it was a great marketing idea. And we went, and a whopping 17 people showed up the first night that we did it. <laughs> I think we had more. We had as many players. It was probably half players, half students. And that's what's been fun about this, because so much has changed, obviously, with social media. But it's not like every time I meet somebody, they know who I am. It's kind of funny. It's kind of it's kind of fun, actually, because you get a chance to see some really natural expressions and you get a chance to talk about different things. And I've enjoyed it. So it's for us to win. There is no way around it for anybody to win. You've got to have a connected fan base. You've got to have people that look forward to it, that help you win. The old adage of you win, we'll come. Uh, that's hard. It's got to be you come, we'll win. All right. And we build the, the home court advantage based on the fact that people are behind it. They're excited about it. They're there early. They're engaged. I just want to have fun. I mean, and, and that's what this is. It's nothing too serious. Uh, you know, when you're out and about and when you're when you're putting it out there. It's just to have fun and enjoy it, and that's exactly how I want to keep it going. So you were in obviously a unique situation because you spent the year, you know, in television and you know, walk and going around the country and sort of surveying the landscape, if you will. What were you looking for that would be the right fit for you at this point in your career and life? Oh, I think exactly what we're finding. I really do because I wanted to get somewhere where it mattered and and, and where they had one in the sense of that the fans were behind it. The fans were, even if they weren't as behind it now, they had been behind it. So you knew that you could build it up that way. A place that had really strong alignment athletically people, as far as with the athletic department, the administration, people that really knew what it looked like, you know, what it felt like. And, and uh, to me, that's exactly what we found here. I mean, the sports here are phenomenal and it's not just football. I mean, obviously football is doing phenomenal. And, and what Kirby Smart is doing is nothing short of incredible in two years. I mean, it really is. But there's so many other things. I was telling you off air, I go to a baseball game. They're playing Georgia Tech on a Tuesday night, probably a month and a half ago now, maybe a little bit less. But it's it's a sellout crowd, and it's sold out early. And I'm leaving to go back to the office in the seventh inning. And there are still people waiting to get into the game as people leave. So every time somebody left, somebody else could get in. I mean, that's incredible to me. 
And maybe it's like that other places, but I hadn't seen it. So to me, that's what this is all about. There's a freshness. There's an excitement. Uh, facilities are important. There's no question about that. Your infrastructure of how you can run your program is important. But having a place where it really, really matters to me and that alignment uh, with the people you work with is by far the most important. Obviously, family very important, but it's different stage in your family you've got one daughter who's on the west coast a son who you know is going to go to college play baseball a daughter who's still uh you know uh, if i'm not mistaken either middle or high school so you know how yeah, much did that grader for her sixth grade okay so yep. so going you know into the middle of middle school if you will how much did that play into this kind of decision of where you guys wanted to be because you didn't have to go sort of for that you know all three kids in elementary, middle, high school, you know, looking for the school system. I mean, it's still important, obviously, for your youngest, but, uh, and I'm not disparaging the Athens school system, but I mean, how much did you put, look into all that, the, the balance aspect of all this? Oh, I think in a big way, the biggest thing being, where could we raise our daughter, you know, through junior high and high school? I mean, that would be the goal. That was my wife Joni's biggest goal, is we didn't want to go somewhere and move her. And and to me, that's what that's what works out here. I mean, there's no reason to believe we can't have some excellent longevity here and, and, and build our family back into this environment. To me, it's an outstanding environment. I haven't been around it very much out into the heart of it yet, but I know that we will. And everything that I've seen leads me to believe that we made a great decision with that. I think the school systems, I think the area, this community is going to be fantastic. It's extremely close to Atlanta. Uh, it's it's so it's such a good location, not only for the state of Georgia, you know, but for other states as well, with as close as we are to North Carolina, to South Carolina, to Alabama, all those different places. To me, that that's what we wanted to have is, is an area where we could really feel great about raising our family, but we could also really help raise a program and, and, and help build the program in the way that that uh, we would like to do it. And, and that's exactly, I think, where we sit right now as we get ready to take this off into the, into the third month here fairly soon. Yeah, I mean, obviously a school like University of Georgia, a very good academic school, and anytime you have a big state school like this, there's usually good academics for kids of, you know, children or professors and faculty and all that. So I'm sure that everything will work fine there. Uh, the culture aspect, you hear that a lot when coaches take over new jobs, but, you know, Mark Fox was highly respected, uh, was always considered to sort of, quote, do it the right way, which is important in the current climate. So what did you find when you got there that, you know, it, it may not have been a complete culture change or anything like that, that, um, you know, I mean, things had go, you know, they just had, he just hadn't won enough. Um, he'd had some good sure. players there. So what was the sort of the climate that you took over that you're now trying to sort of take to that next level? Well, you bring up a good point because I hate that term culture. I hate using that. You know, I hate people going, I have no idea what it was completely like here. You know, so you come in, like I said to the team, I'm not going to make any assumptions which means I may bring up things to you you've known since the fifth grade. I may not, all right? But that's I can't make any assumptions, in it. and I'm not going to make any judgments. If, if something happened in the past and that's a part of it, hey, maybe you can't erase that, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to judge that. It's going to be a complete evaluation, and I hate when people go in and say, well, you know, we're going to change the culture on and off the floor. Well, we weren't there for that culture, all right? The job is to establish your program, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. That's what... You always try to do establish your program. And I think the foundation here has been outstanding. When you look at the young people that we're working with, the way the players have been, the way that they have attacked this, 
And again, it's not about what was done or what wasn't done. It's about what we're going to try to do. And um, that's exactly the way to approach it in my mind, because then you don't waste a lot of time all right, trying to talk and worry about things that you have no control over. You can totally focus on what you're going to do to make where you're at the best it can be that day, every day, and see where it can take you. So how are you a better coach today than you were when you left Indiana? Um, I think you continually grow no matter what. I mean, I think you have. I think everybody does no matter what you do. But I think it's then how, what you can absorb and carry over. And right now, I, I feel in a way that there's there's very little things that, that are going to get me rattled. I think when you've been through a couple of, of different situations like I have, you know, especially with the Indiana situation, you realize that there's there's very few things you're going to see that are going to ever be like that was in the sense of what you dealt with when you walked in. And so I think I'm, I have a patience. There's a perspective. Um, I think the intensity is still extremely high. I think the urgency is high, but I think it becomes my urgency. You know, what's urgent to me? What's urgent to the program? Not, not what's necessarily urgent to everybody else because they feel it should be urgent to me. And I think what happens is you, you've got to prioritize, but you've got to plan. And you've got to have your, your ability to, to know the difference. What has to be done now? What can be delegated? What can be done as we move down the line? But most importantly, what is by far the most important thing? And I think when we took the job over, the most important thing was establishing relationships and getting our players. So the first day that we have a, a, a get-together on March 19th, it's at 2.45 in the afternoon for a team meeting because when I got the job a few days earlier, the team was still on spring break. We meet at 2.45. We meet for about 45 minutes. We go straight to the court and have our first workout at 345. And that, to me, has been the absolute priority. Be with the team. Uh, be with them on the court. Be with them off the court. Uh, establish the recruiting. Get to know the people uh, that you get to know. And then go out and establish the fact that, that we're going to have some fun with this. This can be a fantastic program, but it can't be that way without the support of the students and the community and the state. So do the things that go into that. And just do it in a sense of enjoyment. And I think that's that's how it's been. I mean, this it, you, you work so hard at this. And I, I know I'm preaching in the choir with you, Andy, on this. You spend so much time working at it and trying to be better. There's no reason not to have fun because there were too many times at Indiana. And it had nothing to do with the expectations or the, you know, people want to think the fan base was hard. I love the fan base at Indiana. I love the passion that people had. It's the stuff that's behind the scenes that, that, that wear you down. And so being aligned with people that get it, being aligned with people that have done this at a high level and know what it's supposed to look like and feel like and what you go through, that's the stuff that's fun to me, and that's what I'm enjoying here. So you obviously had a chance to call a lot of games, so you saw you know different coaches that you may not have ever thought to go watch practice. I think you took some trips on your own uh, during this sort of year of learning, if you will. Uh, what are one or two maybe anecdotes that you picked up that you think you can apply to this, you know, th sort of third leg of your career as a head coach uh, at a different institution? Well, there, there were so many, but a couple that would stand out. One thing Bill Belichick said, awareness is a fundamental. And I think I think we we all think we're aware. We all think we're self-aware. But in this day and age, it is so hard to make sure that you have complete awareness. And it's like anything else. You've got to work at it. 
you got to work at it constantly. You got to help your team be aware, not only of their self-awareness, but the awareness around them. And it could be on the floor with, with how they see help side defense. One thing this year, there were so many overhelps to me where people overhelped on penetration in the ball that had nothing to do with stopping the ball. All right. But made it appear that it did. And all of a sudden there's an open three. And, and to me, that level of awareness of, of controlling what you can control is really, really important. But I think the other thing, and I, I took a lot of this from meetings, but also from the work at ESPN, when you're working with the producers, associate producers, when you're working on a game, when you're working on a studio show, that's a team into itself. That's a small group, but it's a, it's a powerful group because there's support, uh, there's care, there, there, people aren't afraid to make you better. You know, you've got to show your willingness to want to get better. You've got to show that you're selfless and wanting to get better, that people are willing to do it. And you and you get a chance to be a part of it's it's game night every time you do something at ESPN. Every time, you know, no matter what it is. And there's an intensity and an energy level that goes into that, but there's a support and a nurturing that goes into that. And and I think that's whatever you do. You make sure that bottom line, you, you do the very best you can do with that no matter what. And nothing is too small if you're involved in it. It's not just about game night or practice. It's every meeting. It's everything that you do has got its own purpose and make sure you max it out. All right. So that's the Belichick side, obviously, at one height. What about basketball wise? Maybe a coach that you watched that you hadn't really gotten to know before or seen practice that uh, you had a chance to because you did some games. Oh, I enjoyed that. And the majority of what I got to see was in the sense of walkthroughs because I, I saw some practices in the preseason, but then I didn't see many practices. Then it was more about being with them in that type of environment. And I loved it. I, I was I was doing uh, games in Oklahoma and watching Lon Kruger navigate everything during the height of the Trey Young euphoria this year and, and the way that that was going. I think I loved a lot of the stuff and I picked up a lot of stuff that Bill Self did. When you prepared against them once, because we played them my last year at Indiana, and follow them close, but then you get behind it and you see the level of improvement that that team had, and it just exemplifies the fact that your best players have got to get better. And if they get better, there's no reason for everybody else not to get better. And I saw that with Devontae Graham, confidence that teams had, you know, that whether it be West Virginia. Uh, that type of situation. So I, I really enjoyed it. I took something from everybody. And really what it was for me is it's not a much, as much about we were doing this wrong or we need to stop doing this. It was more about what can I add? And that's exactly uh, how I felt going into it. And that's how I left it. And I think I'll be able to definitely take some things that will make us better. All right. So in the SEC, you know, Kentucky is sort of the standard every year. And yet this past season, uh, suddenly Tennessee, Auburn, you know, are fighting for the top of the league. And, you know, that's maybe not the norm. Uh, as you enter this league, which I know you're well aware of, you know, how do you approach sort of uh, the Kentucky factor and, and the fact that really everyone else in this league has improved to where they had their best season in terms of tournament bids this past season? And the odds are that that's going to continue, at least in the short term. Well, you got to do everything you can do to be in that. And I think you look at what the teams do and they've been built up. I mean, there's no question about that. What Rick Barnes did, what, what Bruce Pearl did, John has kept it going, you know, for so long now. And, and what Mike White did at Florida is he went in and took a program that had had incredible success and he's been able to build to that success. And I think, um, 
that's what you want to do. Like right now, we have a fairly young team. We've got four seniors, but some of the key guys are going to play for us. They're also going to be sophomores. So we want to build it up, and you want to build it forward, but you also want to make sure that you're recruiting to what is going to make you successful and if and, and take your style of play, take the way that you like to play, build towards it. And I have no doubt that the way we've played in the past and the things that we try to do are, can be successful here. You just got to make sure that you have the right level of talent, togetherness, toughness, guys collaborate in the sense that they're really together. You build that team bond that goes into it. And then you figure out how to win each and every game. And I think what happens too many times in coaching is we start thinking about, okay, how are we going to win the league versus how are we going to win each and every game? Because each and every game is giving you something different. And I know that sounds kind of simple, but it's not. I mean, you've got to be willing to change, be flexible, game plan for the game. And that may mean you make some changes. That may make mean you put some things on hold. That may mean you add something new or a couple things new for that game. And I think it's going to be fun to go through this and figure out how we do that. And I'm looking forward to a much deeper study of this league. I mean, I got to watch so much basketball this year and more than I've ever watched in my life of college basketball. There's no doubt because you're always spending time on your team, on your opponent, and on your league. And occasionally you get to watch other games, at least for me. And and now I got to see so much. So it gave an even greater respect for the SEC and now you get a chance to deep dive even further to figure out how you're going to win in it. So before I let you go, Tom, looking at your roster, if you know the one that's on your website right now, all but three are from the state of Georgia, uh, which has obviously been a hotbed for talent. Uh, you know, I would imagine that that will continue. But in terms of what next season's team, you know, will look like, how they'll play, you know, what kind of impact they'll have in the league. Who, who should we be thinking about here in the off season that you think already in the short time you've seen? you know, could have an impact on this team next season? Well, I think the, the one thing I was really happy about is I thought everybody got better in the spring. I mean, they really did. And again, I'm going from the baseline of knowing a little bit off film, seeing some of them in recruiting, but then but then really just working with them for the month and a half that we got. Uh, the one guy that could really, two guys that could really take off would be Nick Claxton and Sean Hammonds, both are rising sophomores. Nick's from South Carolina. His dad, Charles Claxton, uh, was a tremendous player at Georgia. And Sean Hammonds is from Norcross. I hate to single guys out, but those two right there, I think, because there's so much versatility to them. You know, one is 6'9", one's almost 7 foot. If he's not 7 foot, there's so much multi-dimension to their game of being outside in, inside out, that I think that gives us a chance to really take some steps. But ultimately, how we take care of the ball, how we handle ball screens, make quick passes and decisions, and then ultimately how we shoot from the outside on the offensive end is going to be huge. And then can we have a very, very good shot challenge defensive rebound team? You know, we've got to be able to control the ball. We're going to work every day after last year. We always took as, as much as we could with this in Indiana to make sure that we weren't in an overhelp situation. It's so easy to be in an overhelp situation, and we've got to make sure that we're working every day not to have that. But then are we challenging shots, and are we defensive rebounding? And if we do those things, uh, it'll be huge. Well, those two guys that I just mentioned, Nick Claxton and Sean Hammonds, they're going to be a huge part of everything I just mentioned moving forward. Well, Tom, always a pleasure. I, I know we'll be talking quite a bit on and off 
the air and uh, just enjoy the offseason as much as you can before you get back into the grind. You too, Andy. Great to talk to you. Coming up next on March Madness 365, Nevada head coach Eric Musselman. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Nevada head coach Eric Musselman. Uh, I think there are a few coaches in the country that are enjoying their job as much as Eric is right now. Uh, things are rolling in Reno uh, after an incredible run in the NCAA tournament, getting to the Sweet 16. Uh, recruiting's going great. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the NBA draft, but still, uh, everything is on the up. Uh, how would you sort of uh, gauge the pulse of the program right now, Eric? Well, Andy, I mean, we've had a, a really good month, and obviously, uh, you know, we have three players that are currently testing the NBA draft waters, which we think is is great for our program. You know, last year we had Cameron Oliver, who made the NBA pre-draft combine. Uh, this year, both Cody and Caleb Martin uh, will be attending the NBA pre-draft combine that starts this week. And so, you know, with all of our guys, we want to try to win as many games as we possibly can, graduate our players, and, and then get them in a position where uh, where they can play at the next level. And, and um, you know, the neat thing about two players like Cody and Caleb Martin is they're both on, on par to graduate, and they're getting an opportunity to play in uh, in the combine and and uh, Jordan Caroline has had some really good workouts as well and and then of course from the recruiting standpoint uh, we've added two really really great grad transfers uh, as well as then getting the uh, commitment from Jordan Brown uh, who was the best uh, highest rated player at the time that was still available and and someone that we've recruited for a very long time so let's peel back a couple of those issues let's first deal with the NBA draft deadline is May 30th to withdraw. You mentioned Cody and Caleb Martin and Jordan Caroline. With the Martin twins, a lot of times when you get transfers like this, and it's a unique situation, obviously, with it being twins, but, uh, you know, it's their second go-around. They've already been in school, sometimes four years, but they had to sit out, so they're ready to move on. Um, Why do you think there's a chance that they may decide to come back? Well, I think that with, you know, both those guys, and and it's really any – you know, player. I mean, having been at the NBA level and and seeing uh, what goes on there, and and then seeing uh, what a college player goes through. It's about how do you maximize uh, your potential? How do you maximize your earning power over an extended period of time? Obviously, uh, any player, if someone is a non-drafted player or somebody is a mid to late second round draft pick, uh, and they can come back to school. Uh, and increase their value where they can be a, a first-round draft pick monetarily, uh, you're in a better position, uh, obviously, to get more guaranteed years on a contract and obviously more guaranteed money. Uh, so I think the big thing is just gathering as much feedback as you possibly can. Uh, and then the real thing is how do you have longevity in the NBA? It's not about making the NBA. It's about staying in the NBA. Um, and so all those factors come into, I think, any any player uh, that's looking at the NBA level. And, and certainly when you hear the word upside uh, and you start talking about age of players, it has a big impact, I think, on lottery picks. However, uh, if you're a second-round pick, a late first-round pick, once the draft is over, it's about can you play in the NBA? Are you ready to contribute? Uh, because you look at the G League is now – uh, has a big impact on 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 NBA players, especially rotation, uh, end of the bench type players, and 
And I don't think that they're necessarily calling guys up except for which guys uh, can help them in a game if needed. And so I think that it's all about being ready for the NBA is the biggest key uh, for any college player is, is uh, you know, when you come out, are you ready? Are you at the maximum of where you can be as a player? Uh, are there areas that you can still come back to school and grow in? I think all those factors, not just for a Nevada player, uh, that's testing the waters. But again, for any player at college, there's so many factors that go into the decision-making process. So let's look at a couple of these transfers. Treshawn Thurman, you know, from Omaha. Uh, you've got Corey Henson from Wagner. Uh, Nizre Zazua from Bryant. Uh, what did you see in these guys that makes you believe that they can make that jump up from a lower level in Division One to being, you know, contributors in some form for a team that got to the Sweet 16 and won the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, Andy, I mean, we look at, at uh, now it's been three straight years where we, we have had four transfers sitting out. and Just like Jordan Caroline made a huge impact and Marcus Marshall the prior year, uh, we look at all four of our guys as, as, as four players that can have a major impact. And Jazz Johnson comes from the University of Portland and is a proven score in the WCC, has great three-point range. And when we study these players, we, we, we feel like three-point percentage uh, and rebounding are two characteristics that carry over from whatever level that you're playing at. And so for us, you know, we, we got guys that are proven players. Treshawn Thurman uh, has proven that he can rebound the basketball, and we don't think that that's going to change whether he's at Omaha uh, or at Nevada. And then you look at Nisray and Corey Henson and Jazz Johnson, all three excellent three-point shooters, really good foul shooters. Those things aren't going to change. The three-point line doesn't change, whether you're at Bryant, Portland, or Wagner, uh, just as the free-throw line doesn't change. So in our opinion, uh, all four of our sit-out guys are going to have a major impact as well uh, as the guys, Andy, that we have uh, just gotten a commitment from in the grad transfer market. Trey Porter and Ehab uh, give us things that we don't necessarily uh, have this past year. Uh, Ehab's a guy that creates points through his defense, jumping in passing lanes, play three or four positions. And then you look at Trey Porter, who gives us size at that at that five spot, uh, who can rebound, block shots, and he fits into our running system because he runs the floor so hard for a big. Yeah, I mean, you got Ehab from Corpus Christi and Porter from... Old Dominion. Old Dominion, thank you. Which proves your point even more so that uh, you do not discriminate level. I mean, this this definitely goes to evaluation. I mean, that's the core of this here because you know a lot of people get sort of romanticized by where you're playing, have you played in the tournament, but all these guys we just rattled off are from a lower below where Nevada, you know, competes, should be, and all that. Um, how much of that evaluation is you? Is it your staff? Uh, and, and how often do you go back and forth to say, you know what, are we really making the right call here? Because, you know, did everyone miss out on him? Has he just gotten better? Uh, to making these determinations to where you include them into your roster as they step up a level. Yeah, we study and spend endless amount of time, Andy, on an evaluation uh, statistically. You know, we watch them. So it's the eye test. It's a statistical uh, formula that we've created. Uh, and then it's talking to other coaches, uh, coaches that have competed against uh, these guys to get their input as well. And then, and then just a general study 
of which transfers have had an impact and which ones haven't. And, um, so we've gone all across the board when you look at where Jordan Caroline came from and Marcus Marshall, two all-league players, um, came from a slightly lower level in the Missouri Valley uh, Conference. And then you look at this past year where we had uh, four players from high majors uh, you look at Hallis Cook from Iowa State, and you look at Kendall Stevens from Purdue, and then obviously Cody and Caleb Martin from NC State. So we have really uh, had transfers from all over uh, coming down from a high major or moving up. Uh, and all of the guys that we've had as transfers have had great success. And, and um, you know, for us, it's about studying and making sure that that player fits into our style and system as well. All right, so Jordan Brown. McDonald's All-American, 6'11", 210. Uh, what can be his impact? Well, we think Jordan's going to have a tremendous impact um, on our program. One, you know, he, uh, he he's the highest-rated uh, player that's ever come to Nevada in any sport. So that alone has a huge impact. Um, and then we think it's a perfect fit, perfect fit for him and perfect fit for us, obviously because uh, we'll now slide Jordan Caroline uh, if Jordan comes back to school, we'll slide J.C. down to the three spot, which is where he played two years ago when we had Elijah Foster starting at center and Cam Oliver at the power forward and Caroline at the three. Uh, we feel now with our upfront Trey Thurman, uh, Trey Porter, uh, Jordan Brown, those three guys um, are, are going to be playing the four and the five for us. And, and it's really great for Jordan Brown because – He's going to be playing against physical guys. Uh, Trey Porter, physical, uh, has great strength. Trey Thurman, very physical, has great strength. And then Caroline at the small forward spot, very, very physical at that spot and a great rebounder. So it's going to allow Jordan Brown to fit in with guys that maybe have what he's going to continue to work on, which is build up that strength. All right, so I count 15 on the roster. That's including the Martin Twins and Caroline, who have got till May 30th, as we said, to make a decision. How do you solve that? Well, we feel like it's going to work itself out, obviously, because we have, we're have we in a unique situation, Andy, having uh, three guys test the waters. Most mid-majors might have one guy. Maybe in an off year or bizarre year, a mid-major will have two guys testing the waters. But to have three players testing the waters – uh, is a lot. And so we think that this roster makeup will really work itself out over the next, you know, three to four weeks. And, and um, you know, the bottom line is with Cody, Caleb, and Jordan, we want to do all we can to try to help them, you know, achieve their goals, which is to try to play in the NBA. And we want to be as supportive as, as we possibly can. Our office has had a tremendous, uh, spent a tremendous amount of time trying to set up these workouts because the guys, all three of them, have had a lot of workouts. And, and so it's our job just to try to get feedback from NBA uh, personnel people after the individual workouts that they go through and help facilitate for these guys to get as many before the combine and then after the combine and, and maximize their opportunities, which, uh, which is what we've done. All right, so two parts here. A, if they all return, because last year you were down in numbers, you relied heavily on those three to get you to where you do, where you were. How does it play itself out on the court with this much talent and the need to sort of get everyone involved? How would it play out on the court if everyone came back? I think if everybody comes back, Andy, 
number one, we'll, we play fast already, but we'll play even faster. And we, you know, we've had really good success only playing eight guys. The rotation would obviously increase to 10. And what we would do is we would press a little bit more. We've talked about adding some more junk defenses to the way that we play. We've talked about pressing after free throw situations. And so what we would do is try to extend the game from an effort, energy uh, standpoint, uh, and then pace of play. We would want to play at a much faster pace than we have been. Um, and then that would allow multiple people to get the minutes that they would deserve. And then also, as we know, having coming from the NBA, Every NBA team's got a lot of talent. Every G League team's got a lot of talent. So I think because of my background, especially in the G League, all 10 of those guys that are on your roster, they expect and want to play a lot of minutes. And we had zero problems uh, throughout my time in the minor leagues of keeping everybody happy and winning uh, and having those guys produce enough stats where they get called up. And so all those things would come into factor for us where we would want our guys to have – uh, high visibility. We want our guys to put up numbers to help them in the future. Um, and again, I think because of the background of having coached uh, teams that have a uh, high level of talent, it's not going to be anything that we can't solve. All right. On the flip side, I'm going to go on the limb here. I don't think Caroline's going to stay in the draft. I don't know about the Martin Twins. So now I'm going to give you a scenario. Martin Twins stay in. Caroline returns. Who else? Because there's a lot of good role guys here, but who would be one or two guys that can step up and be those go-to players to complement Caroline uh, if that scenario plays out. Yeah, and we, and we feel like Jordan Caroline certainly can be an MVP type in the Mountain West. We feel like Jordan Brown uh, is as good as any player in the Mountain West with humongous amount of upside. Uh, Trey Porter, when you look at his productivity uh, at ODU with his minutes, uh, we feel like he's a guy that, that can have an unbelievable uh, impact on our team. We feel like Trey Thurman, uh, just like the day that he committed to us, Trey Thurman should be an all-league type player. And then we we feel like all of our guards, whether it's Jazz Johnson, Corey Henson, uh, Ehab, and Nisrae, we feel like all of those guys uh, have tremendous amount of upside and can shoot the basketball. And because we'll be throwing the ball into the post more, uh, and play more inside with Trey Porter, Trey Thurman, and Jordan Brown, we are going to uh, need to extend the defense with our three-point shooting, and obviously that's where all four of those guards uh, have a huge impact as well. And, and, and then you look at our three spot, and obviously Jordan Caroline and Josh Hall's been a guy that's played multiple positions for us, and so uh, we feel like we still are a really, really deep team regardless of what happens with our guys that are testing the waters. Last few things, Eric. Uh, last year you did a great job of scheduling for the NCAA tournament. I've already seen an announcement on Monday. You're going to play Arizona State back at the Staples Center like you did last year. You had a game there. What else do you have on tap that you can uh, share with us in terms of that non-conference schedule besides that ASU game in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I think, Andy, that you know, the key to a, to a place like Nevada making the tournament, if you don't win your conference postseason tournament, is you've got to schedule the right way. And our staff spends a lot of time studying rosters and trying to figure out who are good teams that we can play. And so, like, we want to play the top team in the Summit and try to get them in our building uh, because we feel like if it's a team that can win their conference, it holds more weight uh, come March uh, when, 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 when places uh, they're trying to figure out who's going to get selected into March Madness. And 
Uh, you look at our game that we have scheduled right now at uh, Loyola to play in their building. We feel like they're going to be one of the best mid-major teams in the entire country, and they're so well coached and have so many returning players. And we're trying to work two other games in in NBA arenas besides the Staples Center uh, game, and, and hopefully we'll be able to do that. It gives our guys exposure. And then I also think when you play in an NBA arena, it prepares your team for what the environment's like in an NCAA tournament-type setting because you play in so many big arenas uh, if you're fortunate enough to make the NCAA tournament. So when you're saying the summit, does that mean you have South Dakota State coming to Reno? <laughs> we certainly hope we, we have them coming, and uh, that would be a great game for us because they have a really talented superstar, yep, Mike uh, and, they're and they're really well coached. And uh, is there a tournament uh, next season as well? Yeah, uh, yes, Andy. We will. We will be playing in Vegas. We we we've always tried to uh, be a part of a of, of a Las Vegas tournament because one, that's where our conference tournament is. It gets our players used to that city, and also because of the proximity, uh, easy travel, really good weather. Um, so those tournaments in Vegas always make sense to us as well. And so who's in that with you? I don't know if it's been announced, so I don't know if I can say it yet. <laughs> <laughs> i got to check with Anthony Root on all the scheduling stuff. He's the guru. All right, and lastly, Eric, uh, regardless what happens between now and May 30th, what are the chances that this team should be a team that could, could compete again to win the title in the conference and get back to at least the Sweet 16? Well, I, I'm, the one thing is when you, you know, as you get older, you, you, you learn very quickly how hard it is just to win a conference uh, or to win a post-conference tournament. So we have unbelievable respect for everybody in our conference, and there's going to be some really talented teams. San Diego State's, you know, got great talent every year, and next year is going to be no different with Coach Dutcher. And, and then you look at New Mexico. Coach Ware has done a great job, and they're going to be a really, really good team. And Fresno's talented. And Boise State, you know, Coach Rice does such a great job, and they're always one, two, or three in the league. And, and it's really hard to win in our league on the road because of the travel and, and such. So we have great respect for everybody in our league. Uh, having said that, we feel like, um, regardless of what happens with our three guys in the NBA uh, testing the waters, we feel like right now we have a better team than, uh, than we've ever had at Nevada, which was the plan it, it, to grow each year. And we certainly feel on paper, even if uh, three guys don't return, uh, we feel like we built this team, that this should be our most talented team. And now it's about how we can come together uh, during this off season and try to get better every day, both individually and as a team over our eight weeks that we're together uh, while the guys are in a 10-week summer session. We have eight weeks that we can work with them, and we got to be in great condition, which is what we've been every year, and, and we got to try now to get our chemistry down on the floor and develop roles as well. Eric, as always, uh, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, congrats on just doing a phenomenal job here in the spring, and we'll wait and see what happens on May 30th. Sounds great, Andy. It's always great to join you. Thanks so much for having me on. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Remember, later this week, you've got the NBA Draft Combine. May 30th is the deadline to withdraw from the NBA Draft. It's going to shape a lot of rosters. Certainly after that date, we'll see who stays in the draft, who goes back to college. The rule where the NCAA may allow players to go through the draft and they get undrafted and then return to school. The earliest that could occur would be in next year's draft in 2019. So... Cannot apply to this draft. We'll know a lot more 
on May 31st as to the rosters for next season. As always, thanks for listening.